Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse, and welcome, or Hesselwood is actually my real name. I'm going to start like probably using my real name for more, because um, yeah, um, I used to use Hesse, um, the, 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 the short story is, is that I used to use it as a performance Um name <laughs> so it sounds like i was gonna say performance anxiety but no it was a performance uh, name because people couldn't say hesselwood when i used to do like sort of stand-up and improv comedy they still always get my surname wrong um but yeah i i am i think i'm gonna transition now that i've had a daughter um who has my real name surname that i might start using my proper surname from now on so that's the that's the transition i'm i'm sort of uh very subtly going through by explaining it for about a minute uh anyway welcome everyone this uh, edition i'm really happy uh to to bring out um with a lovely hope virgo um so the the context which we we delve into a little bit in our conversation at the beginning um is that she's been on mentally sound a couple of times to talk about her campaign dump the scales which is at change.org um if you type in dump the scales on in google like it's like for me it was like the third one that well obviously other search engines but um any search engine it was like sort of third third down for me and basically it's a petition to get people to you know um uh, to change the government uh, rules on on particular with her uh, eating disorders but it also um is about in general about basically something which we preach on our other show mentally sound a ton which is about uh, prevention so the idea of actually like you know um getting people the the help that they need before it becomes a long-term issue essentially so um when she was on about the last time which was a, uh, just over a month ago i think um i really enjoyed talking to her um she she touched on the fact that she'd been in a mental health hospital which i have had the unfortunate to do although um she seems to have a much more um uh, although the mental health hospital actually ultimately helped me i've never really ha- felt like i've had a forum to talk about it quite as broad as this um as well as obviously wanting to talk to hope about what her experience was like with her anorexia which is uh, one of the, the, the disorder that she um talks about so um admirably um she also wanted to talk about stand tall little girl which is the book that she wrote about her experiences being in a mental health hospital and her experiences dealing with the friend that she calls uh, anorexia um so it's a fantastic book it's available on amazon so if you type in stand tall little girl you will be able to find hope virgo's book and um, very very well um well recommended from dame kelly holmes uh, on her website which i also want to mention her website which is hopevirgo.com where you can find more information about hope but she was really great talking about um you know the misgivings of anorexia um about what about getting that book about our recovery period and we have a really nice frank open conversation about it so i hope you enjoy it and the next guest uh is interesting she is a uh the ceo of a company called minds work which uh, helps mental health in the workplace i'm super excited i'm going to talk to her next monday and i've got an idea for a new podcast which i'll that's all i'll say for now but I hope you enjoy it. This is the episode with a wonderful Hope Virgo. Enjoy. the context for people who listen to this because there, there is a there's an obvious crossover because i host, host both shows but um obviously it might that you know this this is be i've been doing this 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 show a lot longer so to provide the context if they've not listened to mentally sound when you were on is hope was a guest on mentally sound talking about her campaign dump the scales um which is a um a fantastic idea uh something i'm really um really was really like a a, a, a big advocate of um, being that you know if anyone who listens to this regularly knows about my mental health problems and all that sort of thing and and my camp like we're, this is something me and hope share a great deal about um you know she's sort of a campaigner for mental health she's a lot more out um i guess it's sort of a, a something to be admired actually something i want to do want to do more of and sort of campaign in this sort of thing so when when i when we 
talk to Hope, we I listened back to it and thought I would really like to talk to her in a more in-depth conversation because there's a lot we have in common. Um, we've both been in a mental health hospital, which I'm I, I'm hoping Hope's okay to talk about because um, I certainly am because I think it's an important conversation to have. Um, and obviously to do with the um, you know your anorexia, which you were very uh, talked about diligently on Mentally Sound. So um, I guess the first thing to start with, though, is um, you were on were you on BBC Politics this morning? You were telling me this in the email. Yeah, no. So um, I went on to talk about uh, the Dump the Scales campaign mm-hmm. and to talk a little bit about what um, MPs are supporting it and what the government needs to do to really tackle this as an issue in itself. Mm-hmm. So I guess just for, to provide someone with a brief context of what Dump the Scales means as a campaign, as a starting point, um, do you want to just tell people who listen to this about what that is? Yeah, no, so Dump the Scales launched last July, and the reason I launched it was because people with eating disorders are currently getting turned away from mental health services across the whole country for not being underweight enough. So someone with anorexia oh. will go kind of give all of their history, might tell them what the problem is, but because they're not underweight, mm-hmm. they there's very little that the NHS can currently do for them. So okay. I'm currently working with the government to try and change this mm-hmm. and to actually raise awareness of the fact that eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes. And just because someone doesn't look ridiculously underweight, it doesn't mean that they're not struggling with their eating. Mm-hmm. But actually someone could be a healthy weight, someone could be overweight but still be struggling with that mental health aspect. Yeah. Um that that that's alarming to hear you say that because um obviously we you know we're doing mentally sound the, sh- the other show that we do that we've been doing for about 4 years the, the the thing that we talk about a lot which is a good comparison to what you just described is uh the way we treat suicide um attempted suicide it seems very similar in the way you were just describing because um I always get very frustrated at the fact that people say you're not suicidal enough. And so I guess the, the question I want to ask you, is that a fair comparison? And like, is it, is it similar in the sense of with that? So let's, so in relation to like something like, um, anorexia, for example, because obviously that's something you experienced in, um, is it, are they missing the boat in terms of it's a lot more, like, it's a lot more to do with mental, your mental health rather than actually the physical limitations? I think they are. I think, I think again, it's like with other mental health services we wait until someone hits that crisis point before we start yes. taking them seriously, which means that their recovery time is so much longer. Exactly. Yeah. And also with anorexia, when you turn someone away from services for not being thin enough, that whole competitive nature of the anorexia kicks in mm-hmm. and that individual will feel like they have to prove themselves and make a point that they are really underweight or that they can get to that point. Yeah. And quite often it means that people feel so much worse and that they do have to make a point about it. So for me, when I got turned away from services despite spending that year in hospital when I was much younger and kind of being so desperate to not relapse and not end up in adult services, I went for support, didn't get any uh, treatment or anything because my weight wasn't underweight. And I left that appointment and just felt like this kind of fake anorexic person. I felt very suicidal. I felt kind of my mood completely plummeted. And I didn't really know how I was going to keep moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. luckily for me I've got a very good support network around me so family and friends and after a suicide attempt I ended up going back to my doctor and asking for some, some kind of support in whatever way it could be and they ended up putting me on medication as okay. a way to help me kind of get through this but I guess my my point with the campaign and kind of generally I think with services is the fact that we're waiting for people to hit that crisis point with mental health is ridiculous and we talk yeah. about having parity of esteem and we clearly don't have it when it comes to service provision, because if you had a physical illness, they wouldn't turn you away thinking that you weren't sick enough to get that support. Exactly. But yeah. actually with mental health, it's viewed completely differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I was just saying it's, it's a very, like, as you quite ac- accurately put it, that there's, there's a number of different mental health issues where that can apply in terms of the attitude of, well, you're not in a big enough crisis. And I remember actually when you were describing that, um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember the first interview we ever had with you, um, you compared when people, when, 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 um, organ, when, um, sort of like crisis teams and stuff like that say you're not ill enough. Um, you were saying quite, I thought, which is a very powerful point of, it almost leads to people be almost even more competitive about getting more unwell. Like I remember you yeah. saying that, like particular. So, and I just think, what an awful position to put somebody in that you're almost making them more motivated to not get better. Do you see my? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I'm just—is that a fair thing to say that like I think that's that's one of the real 
like the 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 consequences of having that approach that's quite worrying wouldn't you say yeah i do and i think that's the dangers with it actually is yeah we turn someone away and they do they do just want to prove a point Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is then that person will then make themselves really unwell. Mm-hmm. So they can access that support that they do deserve to have. Yep. And then they then end up in, in and out of hospital for more time, if not forever, because mm-hmm. the hospital feels like such a safe place. Whereas if we treated someone before they hit that crisis point, then we could offer them some kind of community support mm-hmm. so they could keep their life and keep living their life the way they know how to do that, but with that right support in place and then prevent hospital admissions, but also prevent that person having to get to that really worst case scenario mm-hmm. uh, that, that's actually i'm glad you i'm glad you said that because the the obvious transition to to ask you about from your point of view because uh, one of the things on mentally sound we talk about all the time is prevention and uh i think about my own my own lived experience about what happened to me and, and thinking that there was so many opportunities i thought for me to not get to the point of view to, to the point where i was in a mental health hospital which as i know for reading your story that's what happened to you um was there was there situations in your life that like um particularly when you were, were struggling with your anorexia what were the situations where you where you look back on with hindsight obviously it was a wonderful thing but with hindsight now um obviously because it's been quite a long time ago it was, was it around 2007 wasn't it that this happened yeah yeah so in with hindsight do you think like could you could you see prevention in terms of that there were there were situations where you think oh i could have got the help then but it didn't happen in your own experience I think from with my experience, it was more no one understood what anorexia was okay, in yeah. 2000, kind of when I was younger. I'm only 29, but actually people didn't talk about mental health then. So I think yeah. there was an issue in that. But I also think um, that had there been a more open environment to talk about things, mm-hmm. it would have been much easier. The way that I was brought up, um, I had a, I did have a good upbringing, but actually the way that I was brought up was we didn't, as a family, tend to share a huge amount about our feelings and our emotions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the norm. and. Yeah. I think that stopped me opening up. I think also the reasons why I developed anorexia were very complicated, but a couple of the reasons that there were were things to do with my kind of dysfunctional family and the fact that I wanted to fix everyone and the fact that I hate feeling any sort of emotion. And I was also sexually abused. And kind of combining all of that stuff and not being able to talk about it with anyone, Mm -hmm. you then have to find your own way to manage it. And so what I always, and actually what I always say to young people now is actually you need to try and talk about something like however difficult it is, we have to start talking more about things because if we don't, then actually people become even more isolated and then they get completely wrapped up in their brain and what their brain's telling them or thinking or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then they're likely to develop that full-blown mental illness. Yes, exactly. I was about to say, do you agree with the sort of principle of as hard as it is to deal with something as as and when it happened, it's sort of imperative that you do. Yeah, you know, I think you yeah. I think you need to. And it's so difficult when you're when you don't feel like you can talk about things yeah. or when you are in that mindset. But I think and I'm I'm someone who's still very bad at talking about how I feel. <laughs> but I think you, you learn and you yeah. learn who you can trust and I think we all need to find those people around us. Yeah. However ridiculous and cliche that might sound. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I I do think you're right. I mean obviously trust uh, to trust the people around you and I mean um the other the other sort of uh, problem at I think doesn't get discussed uh, that much as well in terms of um you know sort of uh, mental health services for example um is that they the, the the trust is a really important part of it and it's really hard in that scenario when you know if you are at a crisis or you're at, you know sort of approaching that and you're like sort of life's being turned upside down I found in my experience and through the people we talk to it's incredibly I find it incredibly understandable and and it's incredibly difficult to look at a mental health person who's trying to help you and trust that they're going to do what's best for you at the time because yeah do you see what I mean and was that the same for your experience yeah and I think you don't think that anyone else can help you and anyone can fully understand what it's like to feel how you feel Mm -hmm. particularly particularly at that time yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah when like when you're in that crisis point in particular I think that's really really hard to think because I guess it sounds obvious to say hope and I don't know if you agree with this but um I think a lot of the time people don't rem- don't realize that like if you've reached that point of a crisis you've went through every scenario you can think of in your head to try and get better and you don't think there's an answer yeah no exactly yeah and I and I think that's the thing that's really I think in terms of letting people understand the process of how um, hard it is to get better, that's when people start saying, well, why don't you just work harder or try harder or 
all that sort of stereotypical stuff that's really not useful because at, when you're at that point of when you need intervention and need people around you to sort of um you know you know rally the troops as it were um you really have tried it's very i, I do i've yet to meet a person who hasn't said like i've tried you know maybe they haven't looked at things because they've got a skew out of mind and they're not very well but in terms of their capacity and their ability to do something they've tried everything they can to be better and it just hasn't worked yeah no um, exactly yeah so um, let's talk about anorexia then, because uh, in terms of, I guess, from what from your experience and like how you've dealt with it now, and I know you talked about this on Mentally Sound, is that what 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 would you say? Because I talk about bipolar disorder and sort of the mis the misunderstood aspects of it. In terms of just anorexia and a generalistic point, um, what are the sort of um, the 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 I guess what may, maybe mainstream media or or just general the general assumptions around anorexia? that you can discuss here like are there any um misgivings about it um so i think the main misunderstanding around anorexia is that you have to be stick thin to have it okay i think quite often we wait until someone gets really skinny before we point anything out and actually anorexia goes so much deeper than that it's about someone who is struggling with their emotions and that control element Mm -hmm. and so they have that outlet through food and whether it's through completely cutting things out or gradually beginning to cut things out over a period of time. Mm-hmm. There's also something about exercise. So actually quite a few people with anorexia, not everyone, but quite a few people will use exercise as a way to manage that and will over-exercise in an obsessional way, yeah. which again is very negative for that individual. Yeah. Um, and then as well, like obviously you get the weight changes with anorexia and those are the things that we can spot. But what I do always emphasise is, and I've touched on this already, is actually we can't wait for someone to lose that weight before we yeah. start pointing things out. It's... As soon as someone starts to change around meal times and change their kind of attitude towards things or maybe stops going out because they're so worried about the food that's going to be involved or if they can't exercise quite as much. And as soon as we start to pick up on those changes in that individual, it's that when we need to start reaching out and actually saying what what's going on, like what's the matter, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms, so in terms of um, obviously describing that exp- describing um, th- what you went through and whatnot, um, what was your sort of motivation to want? Like, uh, obviously, I know you you went through a recovery and stuff, which we can obviously talk about if you want to. But I'm I'm curious about because um, I know I get asked this in terms of what like what was your sort of divi- defining motivation to end up um, you know sort of sharing your story and um, was it the fact that you felt that, that just people misunderstood anorexia or misunderstood your situation like what was the the motivation for you to eventually sort of open up and sort of become a like sort of pioneer to to, to discuss it um, so for me it was I came through my relapse um, okay. in 2016 and yep. After coming through that, I realized that there are not many kind of honest stories out there about recovery. I think quite often we talk about mental health problems when we're through the other side. And not a huge amount of people talk about actually the here and now. Yes, it's becoming more common, but I still don't think we do it enough. Yeah, I agree with that. And I kind of wanted to paint that really honest picture that actually we can be recovering and it's an ongoing process. And that's totally okay to have good days and bad days with it. Mm -hmm. But it's how we manage ourselves in those bad days. So I wanted to share my story, I guess, for that reason, but also so that people know that they're not alone and how they're feeling. And Mm -hmm. that to kind of offer that insight that actually you can recover at some point. And yes, recovery looks something different to everyone. And for a lot of people, it's just managing that. Mm-hmm. But it is important to get to that point. And I wanted to use my story to actually help motivate other people to realise that actually living with anorexia, living with an eating disorder and using that as a way to manage your emotions is a really unhealthy thing to do. Yeah. And these are the things that the ways that we can put this in place to actually try and push that further forward. Yeah, of course. Um, so what so what led in, in relation to that to you want uh, to to um, you deciding to put your story into a book? How did that come about? Um, so. I think I'd always wanted to write a book about my experience. Even when I was in hospital, I did a lot of writing. I'm I'm one of those people that always wants to fix everyone and has always been quite caring and wanting to help people. And I think I got to this point when I kind of came through my relapse, when I was like, actually, I want to do something with my story and with this really terrible experience to actually try and stop other people having to go through it. Mm -hmm. And again, to also try and raise that understanding around eating disorders is to do my bit in tackling all of the stigma that comes with mental health, because I do think there is still a lot of stigma around it. And people do get really scared about opening up and it it can be terrifying at times. And I thought by having this really honest story about myself out there, 
that hopefully it would start to help other people feel able to open up much more. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. Because um, um, the 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 reason that I was saying I, I was saying that, and obviously, I mean, the, the, um, how did you find? Because anyone who listens to this regularly knows that I've had several offers on and stuff like that, and um, uh, I'm actually currently working on a, a a book idea, but it's not about my life. It's just a fantasy thing. Um, and I enjoy the process of it, and I've 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 obviously had people on who have had books published and whatnot. And what? How did you find? I mean, the obvious question to ask you was it therapeutic, and just how did you find the process? process of sitting down and going I'm going to write about my own experiences so I found it very therapeutic actually um so it reminded me that I didn't ever want to go back to that point again with my (laughs) eating and I didn't want to end up back in hospital um as well I also my mum wrote kind of a little bit of it and having my mum's input on it was amazing because it helped to offer that parental insight but also for me and my mum it helped us to have kind of a bit more of an honest discussion about like where things were for us, like yeah. kind of where we were at with things and also gave me the chance to apologise because I felt like I'd been so unbelievably difficult yeah. through a lot of my illness and through a lot of my teen years when I was really unwell. And I felt I do at times feel guilty about that and I shouldn't feel guilty about it because I was very unwell, but actually I, I do. And mm-hmm. it gave me the chance to actually talk more honestly with her about that. Mm-hmm. Um And I think what I have learned, I guess, over the last couple of years since my book came out and since I kind of actively talk about this and do a lot of campaigning and working across the country, sharing my story, I think now it's I've had to learn to manage those boundaries of what it's like to have your whole life completely out there, kind of up for judgment, up for criticism and actually, yeah, getting kind of a bit more confidence and understanding what that means and what that looks like mm-hmm. in my sense yeah because i think um there was a lot of there was a lot of um unpacking what you just said there i was nodding and going i completely you know you i guess um you know obviously i can't i can't completely understand what you went through obviously but i, I a lot of that resonates with me um because when i was in a, a in in the mental mental health hospital um when I reached that point and obviously before then I was really unwell obviously to get to the stage where they consider doing that and I do when I talk to my partner now who who wasn't with me when that happened and I tell her like what happens and stuff and feel so like loved and 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 feel like I'm in such a good obviously the right relationship because like you're almost like um in my experience like when i was telling my partner i was like i'm just waiting for her to go i can't believe you went through that that's appalling like or like um i'm gonna leave you or something you know when you're in a in a, in a sort of um depressed mood which my bipolar can get me in as i go she's gonna like what if she like but then i realized because if you're in love with someone you say these things and go well actually like um I, I I know that she's going to take this the right way because I can explain from my point of view why this happened. Um, yeah. Because it, when you go through that and my family and stuff, when you were talking about your family, I guess just to just to be honest and make this like a conversation is to say, I whenever I talk about like so when I talk tell my partner about what happened and people who never knew the full extent of why I got to that point, um, and when I talk about it at universities when i do university speeches and talk about what i went through and all that kind of thing which i'm assuming you do with the book all the time is um yeah this is that you do have that guilt of you go back to it and go you feel grateful that you're not in that position anymore but you feel guilty because there'll be something random that you remember that you did in the deepest darkest time where you were feeling the way you were yeah and you just realize how horrible you were to somebody and you were like but i didn't want to be horrible and you know, like, um, so I, I completely resonate with what you say because it's just like, you know, but at the same time, I'm glad you said whenever I feel like that, I don't know if this is what you do, but I, whenever I feel like that, I go, but if I've obviously felt like I did now in a much better place and well and in, in dealing with my condition, then I obviously wouldn't have behaved like that, which short, which tells me it's not the real me. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that does make sense. Yeah. Is that, is that what it felt like to you when you feel guilty, do you go, but that's not, it's, does it feel like to you sometimes that it was almost like a different person? That might be a weird yeah, question to Yeah, it does. Ask, it's but... like, yeah, you're kind of step out of yourself and you don't yeah. really have control over what's going on, but you're yeah. kind of watching on. Yeah. Um, yeah, like and, an outer body experience yeah. or something. It, it does feel like that sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and I think with anorexia as well, like it does make you do things that you wouldn't normally do and act in certain ways because you want to do everything you can to try and just get away from eating anything and well, so you act up a lot and things like that well and obviously as well i mean this is a real obvious thing to say and you don't need to be like a, a i think like a sort of specialist doctor to think 
it's fair to say, isn't it, that I assume with something like anorexia that you're just not getting, like, the basic, your basic requirements for, like, nutrients and stuff, wouldn't it? You would think so. Surely that would lead to you, like, chemically in your brain, you know, making sort of irrational decisions and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I can sort of understand that because even, like, anyone who listens to this who's got, not, not that I'm comparing it because obviously it's, they're all, you, you deal with it, everyone deals with things differently and there's different aspects to things, but, anyone who listen, listens to anyone with depression obviously ends up like sort of skipping meals and stuff and i think if more people start understanding the impact that has on your well-being and your mental health like now i don't know what you're like but um for me when i like sort of skip a, skip a meal with bipolar i can feel it because my brain tells me that i've missed something and i'm like i start really getting moody and I'm like, I, 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 so now I have to like, so I always make sure I monitor it because it's quite easy for me to just be very forgetful um, about that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think it's just, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm just glad. Uh, it's really, really good to be honest about it, I guess. Cause, um, so, um, the, the thing, the reason about the, so we were talking obviously about your books, just, I want to let people know what it's called. So it's called Stand Tall Little Girl. Um, so where is it available if people want to know more about it? Um, so you can get it on Amazon um, mm-hmm. or in some Waterstones as well. Great. Ooh, I have. I've. I've just been got uh, some money on Amazon. I might. I will. Pay, I might consider purchasing. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I was, just, I was just suddenly like, oh my god, I've got some money on Amazon. I haven't spent yet, so I might. I'm, I. I. I was just thinking I should buy it. Um. So that that's an exclusive. Um. <laughs> but yeah. So um. Um. Obviously. Um. So if people do want to decide to buy the book, obviously. Um. It's fair to say it's sort of multi-dimensional, and that it's not just necessarily about the anorexia. It's about the sort of struggle. You know, does it? You know, is it about you? Sort of like, um, you know, the whole experience, and like, does it? Do you talk about sort of the the your fam? Like, I know you just touched on this earlier about like, you know, what your family went through and stuff as well. Because I think that's something that is not talked about enough. Yeah, like, no, we you know, do talk about that definitely because yeah. I think that is an important issue to bring into it. Because I think quite often brothers and sisters of people who are struggling, and even parents and carers like they don't ever get any real support mm-hmm. yeah um, i agree so the book kind of touches on that and hopefully offers some explanation for people to actually understand a little bit more about what those around them can do to support that individual much more yeah i know because I, I i mean um in my experience um because my you know my mom um, my mom really had a hard time coping with what i went through um and uh and yeah i found that like support network wise uh it was only after i got out and sort of recovered and um our relationship like went back to normal that i actually like asked her like what it was like and she said that they really kind of left her alone and i thought that was really um yeah i felt really bad about it yeah because yeah i, I just you know you then start realizing when you're well that like these people go through these things too exactly as much as you do i mean not it's not the same obviously in your much more vulnerable position but you know it's it is important to remember that you your support network suffers as well. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and it doesn't get mentioned enough, like you say. So, um, the, so yeah, the reason I wanted to provide the context about the book and everything, because obviously, um, you talk about the mental health hospital and that, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, um, because I've always wanted to find a way on this podcast to kind of talk about um mental health hospitals because did you see by any chance uh, this is like a, a a little bit of a tangent, but it's relevant to what we're talking about. Is did you ever see the that was it, was it Panorama or something? The the um the thing about the Durham Mental Health Hospital that was on BBC I think recently. Did uh, you even hear I'm about not it? Sure, no. Um, so what it was is there's a there's a mental health hospital somewhere in Durham and it was a Panorama investigates I think, and the idea was they got an undercover person to basically work there, so they got like fake credentials to get them to be. They did like basic training, so they were obviously to safeguard them. So they knew how to become a carer. So this person went through like a good amount of time learning to be a carer. And then they, she got a job working in this mental health hospital as a, as a support carer. And so she had hidden, a hidden camera in her uniform and watched how these like, um, it was really, I guess the, the, the summary was I watched like half an hour of it with my partner and I couldn't watch it because it was making me too upset because they were just very, nasty to all these people that were there like um they were sort of humiliating the patients and stuff like that because apparently this this particular hospital had a reputation for this um so that was the reason they were doing a panorama investigate so um i just wanted to ask whatever you feel comfortable sharing obviously is just what 
what would you say for people listening about sort of mental health hospitals from the from when you, what you happened maybe other stories you've heard since about what your sort of experience was with mental health hospitals and if in the sort of like do you think it's they're done the right way and like what was your experience like so i had yeah so i had quite a good experience in hospital i think compared to a lot of other people good. so good i was in a children's hospital um with about 25 people aged from 11 right up to 18 oh, okay um i was in a room with three other girls um and they had kind of anorexia some of them but also one girl with depression mm-hmm. and then of course the hospital there was a real range of illnesses yeah i think for me the negative of going into hospital was obviously my life was on hold yeah. um but yeah. it did save my life and mm-hmm. the real challenge for me was actually when i was discharged and i didn't get any support when i left hospital because i turned 18 when i was in hospital All right. so i had no follow-up because of the transition mm-hmm. um and i also had become quite institutionalized in how i lived my life yeah so i knew kind of exactly what food to have every day i had set times for eating things and it meant that i didn't feel able to really challenge any of this stuff and any of that angle of my eating okay yeah um, so, so did you find that like so uh, how long were you in the mental health hospital for um a year okay that's very long um uh so so what you uh, so just so i understand what you said there um it was the issue because of the fact that they they basically give you like a guidelines of how to you know make sure like have set times for meals and stuff like that when you went out were you finding that really hard to implement that yourself because it was all taken care of is that the gist of what you said there yeah yeah pretty much so like you had yeah so everything was done for you You didn't have to think and i think as well i i had people around me all the time mm-hmm. that i could fully rely on and fully get support from so if i had a bad meal or a bad day mm-hmm. then i was able to just call on that individual and say oh, i'm really struggling with this mm-hmm. yeah and um i mean and the other aspect of because that's a really long time because when i was in a mental health hospital um, they let me be there for like sort of two months and then they basically said any longer than that is a, is a concern um so i mean yes i'm quite shocked at that because i i assume um for being that long as well that the 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 the, the sort of so you probably felt a lot of social um, isolation um you know did you get any people visiting you and stuff like that yeah i did so i did feel like i was missing out on school all right Um, yeah but and i hated the fact that all of my friends were kind of getting on with their lives and i wasn't yeah but actually they were very good at coming to see me um and people made the time and my family came and stuff Mm -hmm. um and obviously like it's very different when you have people visit you in hospital because you're just sitting in a visiting room (laughs) trying to make it as normal as possible it's definitely not normal um there's not many jokes there's not many jokes you can do and that's no (laughs) no um but apart from that like actually it was really nice having people there that wanted to come and see me and spend time with me Mm -hmm. and i think had people not done that it probably would have been much harder Uh, yeah i i definitely can say that in my experience um i mean what because what i was wanting to ask you because i think this is something i think about when i think about what i mean obviously what i what i mine was a lot shorter than than your experience but i found that the the most obvious way of helping me is actually treating me like i was before um so what i mean by that is that some people when they came to me to visit me in hospital treated me like i was really ill um and i guess because of the fact my you know with it being a mental health thing it just made you feel constantly aware of it all the time whereas some of the what i realized was actually really useful and helped me in my recovery is some of my oldest friends when they came to see me almost tried to make it out I mean, obviously, it's sort of a little bit of an acting job because obviously, you know, you're seeing someone who, and I mean, in your case, it's it's probably very noticeable. But for me, you know, I was like, I was really, you know, my experience, I was really like, I, I was physically starting to be ill, um, was really like unfit and, 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 you know, very angry all the time, having episodes all the time. Um, but I just thought like when, when my old friends came to see me and sort of laughed and joked like we were at the pub together, um, that really helped because it made me feel like I can sort of try and be normal. I mean, d- 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 does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, there's something definitely in that, actually. And I think for my friends, it was they used to come in and um, we'd play a game together or we'd do play Monopoly yeah. or whatever it might that's, be. That's what my, parents, that's what my friends did. Yeah. yeah and you <laughs> try and talk about kind of like the day to day of everything going on yeah. and 
yeah, as if like you're not in the hospital. And I do think actually for me that really, really helped. Yeah. Because again, it helped me to feel better about where things were at. And also, yeah, I guess gave me a bit more confidence in what I was dealing with as well. Mm-hmm. It also, I think it's the king of something that I don't think gets discussed enough is that I think distraction can be a good thing. You know, even if it's just sort of minimalistic, because um, in my experience in mental health hospitals, and I don't know if it was the same for you, but obviously there's certain times in the day where they get you to talk about your condition. And obviously the longer you're in there, the more that it gets frustrating because it's like you do talk. In my experience, I talked about the same stuff every day, you know. So when your friends come and ask you like, oh, how are you doing? What you've been like, what you've been talking about? It is nice to kind of have just something different to focus your brain on. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so that I, that I think that's that I think hopefully people listening to this that would be quite a powerful thing to raise because I think um, for anyone who if obviously we don't want anyone to end up in this situation, but if they do, I think that's probably a good bit of advice. Yeah. Um But yeah, so um, I, what 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 intrigued me about what you said because it was the same thing for me as well when you left the hospital that you said that like you didn't get a lot of help when you left because of I mean obviously your age was a factor is what you just said there but yeah um, my care plan was really was awful as well um my care w- wasn't worth the papers printed on basically I got no help at all um and had to like find a place to live and all that kind of thing and so I guess to make it a more sort of positive spin on this to talk about from your experience. Um, so when you said like obviously they put you in a difficult position there in terms of your recovery because it helped you in the hospital to get to some sort of a plateau and then to end up you know going back into society and stuff how did you you know what 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 would you say was the biggest sort of learning curve you went through there in terms of um you know starting to live your life again and all that sort of thing um yeah i guess i guess starting to just have my life back yeah. And actually realizing that I could manage this on my own and that I had the confidence to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think I found it really difficult mm-hmm. um, and it was really challenging at times, actually. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think for me, that was a real game changer, actually realizing that I did want to have my life back and I was so determined to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kept me going and kept me motivated straight out of hospital. I went to university right. and I found that hard in itself. But actually... Good for but you. I think, yeah, but I think having that motivation to stay at uni, mm-hmm. like, really kept pushing me forward and yeah. kept me going in the right way. Yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I always, uh, I think the, 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 the biggest thing in terms of recovery is having something to work on, you know, and then, and having something like, you know, to be motivated outside of just getting better. I think you sometimes need more. You need a bit of a push to, to like, you know, commit to something and see the rewards of something. Cause I think that's the hardest part about being severely ill. Is that you just, there's no, like, you don't seem to see any reap, reaping your rewards of, like, working hard. And so I, that probably, yeah, it sounds like university would have helped you. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you end up doing? Just out of curiosity? Uh, sociology. So oh, I, wanted okay. to do, um, I wanted to do psychology. All right. But in hospital, I had to take my A-levels. They didn't have any way to teach me biology. All right. So oh, I chose to do, and actually for me, I just, I think it was just going to university it was just the thing I wanted to do and to start <laughs> trying to get my life back in yeah. some kind of order. Yeah. Well, it's just, I, I just, I, I think I'm, my reaction to that is just, it's, it's, I'm really pleased that you got the opportunity to go to university because it sounds like obviously, you know, during this time it was not ideal. I mean, it's never ideal when you're, when you're ill, like, like you described, but obviously at that peak time when you're thinking about going to university, it's just, uh, it's, it's good that you got the opportunity to try. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. So it was down to that they couldn't actually provide you what you needed. So you picked what you want. Did you enjoy the process of university? Uh, bits of it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, bits of it. I think it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and in hindsight, I probably should have taken a year out before I went. Yeah. Maybe. But my friends were all really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all kind of understood. They didn't understand what I was going to, but they didn't question the kind of my quirky eating habits and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I think again, it helped to start to give me that confidence that I needed to actually start living my life and just start kind of getting some kind of normality back into it. Yeah. Um, as well, mm-hmm. which for me was the biggest thing. Like I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be stuck at home for another year or stuck in hospital for another year when all my friends were kind of getting on with what they were doing. Yeah. And you probably, the, the, there's pros and cons to any decision you make there. And I think that's wise what you said, because you probably, there would have been an element of if you went home, you probably would have sat there and spent more time thinking about it. 
and maybe the best thing to do is just get up and be you know have something to distract yourself and have something to work on and be in a different environment so you probably ended up doing the right thing yeah um, no, definitely um I, i'm so i'm curious like because um another thing that I, I like talking about on here because it's the same as sort of mentally sound in that aspect is so like coping mechanisms during that time because obviously you know the the it's i'm pleased that you said the mental health hospital was on a whole a, a positive experience and they helped you um so what would you say like were you taking medication for example during this period of time no i wasn't um so my coping mechanism was mainly stick to the eating plan i'd had in hospital all right um yeah. and exercise the same amount that i'd been told i could exercise in hospital okay um and try and talk about how i felt to my mum. yeah so i quite often would text my mum if i was struggling um, oh, that's nice. knowing that, well, she couldn't fix the situation just for me by telling someone. Okay. It began to help a little bit more and help me to feel more okay about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think just having that institutional lifestyle for the first kind of year or two of uni, mm-hmm. whilst was frustrating and quite had a lot of restraints to it, mm-hmm. over that time I was able to get more confidence, like I said, in myself. Yeah. And then my coping mechanisms began to, I guess decrease slightly because i knew what i needed to do to stay well yeah and i began to listen to my body much more and trust myself that i could do this on my yeah. own without constantly listening to having that set plan every day uh, do you think as well because obviously in this particular time in your life as well because my the first indications of problems i experienced and this is this is more common than i think people realize is that it usually is around about the time that you sort of mid-teens all that sort of thing and you you know do you think it, it it's also problematic that if you get something like anorexia or bipolar disorder or something like that when i say get as in you you discover you have it is that um the the other problem is you've got all these other stresses in life to deal with because you know you've got hormones and you're you're trying to figure out what you want to do in life and all that sort of stuff do you think do you think that exasperated what you went through as well um yeah i think it did actually i think yeah it definitely did and it made it harder mm-hmm. but i think with stuff like that it's always about trying to talk about things and trying yeah. to find the people that you can support and that you can feel like you can be open to if that makes yeah. sense no of course no no definitely um so in terms of uh what people you know when you obviously talk about anorexia as open as you do now i mean you said about coping mechanisms as in you have like sort of a guideline or structure of when you eat and all that sort of stuff is that the general advice you give in relation to if anyone asks you about anorexia or is it more complicated than that so it's much more complicated than that i think okay. so for me that was what worked okay. and that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that we should be living our lives restricted to that. Okay. Yeah, I remember um, you said that mentally sound, yeah. So I think mm-hmm. it's, yeah, so I think now my coping mechanisms are less about having that really strict eating schedule. I eat my three meals a day with snacks throughout the day. Okay. And I will probably always do that. So I'm not mm-hmm. one of those people that can <laughs> have like a massive lunch and then not have anything for dinner. I have yeah. to have my meals. Okay. Um, but I think that's okay and it kind of works for me. But my other coping mechanisms are things like I use exercise now in a really positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think my campaigning really helps me stay on track. So actually talking openly about what I've been through means that I feel like I have to stay well and I have that kind of added pressure to feel like that because I talk about it and I want people to know that you can recover and get to that place in it. Yeah. Um, I also avoid all diet related stuff on Instagram and social media all right, um, yeah. and just mm-hmm. make sure that I'm not constantly kind of flooding myself with those kind of images because whilst they're not necessarily always triggering to me, I'd never feel that good about myself if I spent hours and hours looking at stuff like that. Yes. So just actively not doing a lot of that kind of stuff as well, I think is really important for me. Um, and mm-hmm. I think as well, like I've touched on already, it is, it is about talking and I do find this very difficult at times and I struggle from time to time to be really honest with people around me. Mm-hmm. But when I do do it, I always feel better for doing it. Yeah. And so I do think that there's something in that actually about just reminding ourselves that we need to keep talking about things. And if we do keep talking, then everything will kind of begin to make sense a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good thing, good bit of advice to anyone who like, if anyone's listening to this, who feels like they're struggling or whatever it is, I, I, the one cliche that I think does make sense is that the first time you say that you've got a problem is the hardest part. Um, in term, you know, then like, uh, you do get that, like, 
I guess people worry about all oh, the the rabbits out of the hat or whatever, but I actually think it's more like you know the the rocks have been like took off your shoulder, the weight's been lifted off your shoulders, that kind of feeling. Um, I think that's like step one of going. Okay, I don't need to sort of like. But I think the problem with if you've got like a, a really a, a difficult thing that you're dealing with is you kind of like uh, live a lie a lot of the time. Is that you 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 kind of got got such a guilty conscience about it that you can't you don't feel you can talk about it and. I think that's the whole point about if we talk about it like we're having this conversation now, that hopefully it'll encourage more people to go, oh, actually, okay, it is okay to say that you struggle with something and it's hard, and but you can get through it. Um, you know, I think that 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 that's the most powerful thing. Because actually, what you said there, I'm really glad you got onto because I wanted to ask you that because obviously it's it's a very good it's a very good segue into dump the scales as well. Your campaign um, <laughs> is. Um, I find that very alarming and I'm wondering like you know the obvious question to ask you here is about how like sort of um, you know weight in particular is portrayed in mainstream media and on Instagram in particular that I find you know you know I'm not someone who you know I, I do kind of like look after myself and stuff but I wouldn't consider you know I'm not you know 100% bo- you know, I'm not bothered about my weight for example that kind of thing I do try and be healthy though but I'm just saying that you know, you just need to log on to the internet and see how much of, like, advertising of, like, you know, you need to take this, you need to take that, or whatever it is. And I'm just curious about your 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 views and opinions on, you know, what stage we're at with that, and does it have an impact on, on you know, um, people who have anorexia and stuff like that, or just people with a body image and all that sort of stuff, and, like, what your view on that is? So I think it does. I think Instagram and social media has an impact on people. It has an impact on making us feel worse about ourselves also creating kind of like these false like ideologies of what we should be and how we should be living our life mm-hmm. um but i do think there's a real positive in it as well and i think yep. it's about as individuals we have to take some responsibility to find that positive within it and whether that's through using it for support network or using that to raise awareness of mental health or how we feel yep. it's about us trying to monitor that I and agree. i know that's much easier said than done because i know that i'm guilty of scrolling through instagram and feeling utter rubbish about my own personal situation about where I'm at in my life and you do just have that added pressure every day because of social media and the fact that on Instagram we spend our whole lives just filming exactly what we're doing every day so that everyone knows and then it's and it is interesting from time to time but actually the reality is is it can be quite negative for all of our mental health and depending on kind of the person and how they feel about things it makes it harder to manage yeah Uh, I do think, yeah, I think as well there's something in it with all the photoshopping that goes on and kind of all of the stuff that's just pushing all the clean eating and everything like that, which, again, is another issue in itself mm-hmm. and another issue that is quite negative for social media. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you're right, though. I, I do like what you said about the... But there is the other end of the, the spectrum that um, me and my partner, for example, are big Stacey Solomon fans because I, I, yeah. I, I, I really like her attitude. You know, she posted a thing that, you know, it was like sort of, um, you know, because this is an overrating podcast, but I'll just say the, the abbreviated version. But she was like, um, F you to the haters kind of thing and posted a picture of herself with like, you know, our pregnancy marks and stuff like that. And, um, you know, as someone who's got a partner, I've got a, my, my partner went through a pregnancy because I have a daughter and, um, I liked, she really appreciated that attitude because it is obviously a hard thing to go through being, you know, pregnancy and everything. And the fact that she's so open about it to go, yeah, well, but this is the reality is like, you shouldn't hide these things because everyone, you know, anyone who's been a mother goes through exactly the same thing. So, you know, I, I like that attitude. So yeah, it does have, there are some pros about it, most definitely. Um, I guess the downside is though, if there is one, I'm mean, not to be negative about it, but I guess it does make me think about it is that, um, I always think of like, cause my, as I just mentioned, I have a daughter and I think I, I really hope it doesn't, continue when she's like sort of a teenager for example um and feels that she has to be like this this perfect imitation of a person do you think that's that's kind of a a, a concern that we kind of want people to be like this perfect being who never does anything wrong (laughs) yeah i think there is and i think that's another added pressure that is applied onto things yes and it's scary that in a way because we don't want to create a world where people don't feel that they can be themselves or feel that they can do stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. Because particularly for individuals, it is about failing and learning from that as well. Yes. And we don't want people to think they can't, yeah, they can't be their normal self on social media because of fear of judgment. Yes. 
I think the other the other problem as well, Anna, you were, you were sort of touching on this when you were talking about Instagram, is that um, I think the aspect of mental health people don't realise is that um, a lot of the time when you look on social media, people post snippets of like the good aspect of their lives, but you know they never. You know, a lot of people on Instagram or whatever are not going to like necessarily, um, you know, promote the bad side of what they go through. So it's a very no. skewed, it's a very like unfair, balanced thing because people go, ah, oh, like, uh, like I, my partner sometimes watches vlogs on YouTube, and the, the some of the people she watches I really like, and and I think are nice people. But I always say to her like. You know, they say on their Twitter or Instagram, it's an interesting thing, I think, that on their YouTube video, it's all like, you know, glitter and <laughs> all the, you know, balloons and fun times and all that sort of thing. And then on Twitter, they go, oh, there's no video, to, there's uh, no YouTube video today because uh, we've had like a bereavement or something. So it is only a skewed, you know, look at their life. It's not a, it's not a balanced, full circle deal. It's just a fabrication, basically, is my point. And so. Yeah. Um, I think for a mental health side is it's good for us to remind ourselves that like a lot of the time people are only willing to post what they're willing to post um you know so you're only most likely going to get like a happy fun story than you are a person who's struggling and maybe maybe we need to balance that a little by going it's okay to say that you're struggling about something to let people know that you should just be honest about something and not hide it um maybe that might be a good thing in future and so people like yourself who talk about this openly in different formats is a good thing i think um for stuff like that um so was that like um you know was that like sort of maybe the um the motivation for dump the scales was it because of uh seeing stuff like that or was there another motivation behind the campaign i think a bit of both really i think Mm -hmm. i wanted to change that kind of understanding about eating disorders so people understand them properly Mm -hmm. um but I think, yeah, I think, again, there is trying to, yeah, trying to change the service provision, but also getting people to realise that we don't have to be stick thin and actually trying to get people maybe to think a bit wider than the service idea and to realise that we should just not be giving scales power to dictate how we feel and dictate who gets support and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, so when did you just go? I know, I know this already. I'm pretending to be like the sort of interviewer who doesn't know <laughs> anything, but I know this already for, for the benefit of people who who don't who listen to this for the first time. Um, so when did like sort of dump the scales start? Or, like when was the initial plan in your head? Um, so probably about a year and a half ago, I wanted to do a campaign on this, but I didn't really know how to do it and where to go with it. Um, and when I launched it. It was very unorganised, if I'm honest. I didn't really think it would get any coverage. I didn't think anyone would be interested in it. And then after kind of the couple of, first couple of weeks of it, I realised that like I really had to find a way to work on this properly um, and to make sure that I was delivering on all the stuff that I've kind of agreed that I'd do and that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent, yeah, kind of six months getting MP support, getting it debated in Parliament, um, and then most recently ended up taking... <clears throat> taking the petition to number 10 so that we could get a formal response from the government about what they're going to do to tackle this. Rather frustratingly, the response wasn't the best response um, and didn't really take the issue as seriously as it should be taken. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to work now more closely with some MPs and trying to work out how we can best lobby the government, both internally and externally, so they can start to really see this as something that needs to be tackled. So can you go into detail about what you mean by the reaction? Like, what, what was their stance? So they focused a lot on children's services, so ignored the adult side of things completely, okay. um, mm-hmm. which frustrated me. They also said that they were doing stuff, they knew it was a problem, and they were doing stuff over the next five, ten years. Okay. But actually the fact is, if we're waiting five, ten years, then, like, anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric disorder. Mm-hmm. So actually all of those people are going to die before we even get to access that. So it's yeah. not about... And I'm not even asking for kind of these massive changes. I'm asking for key implementation. Mm-hmm. And once that's implemented, then, then they can do the kind of more long-term strategic stuff once they've started delivering that stuff on the ground. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like, I guess, sort of short, like, because obviously what they said was an obviously a, a, a ridiculous, like sort of long-term goal. Um, what what were you asking for in terms of short-term stuff that you think could be impl- implemented, for example, that would help the situation? Um. So comms to be rolled out across the NHS, so making sure that all GPs and all clinicians have an understanding of the NICE guidelines, which do actually state that we shouldn't judge someone's BMI and we shouldn't stop someone accessing support on based on their BMI. Yeah. Um, 
The second thing is around introducing some training for GPs. So making sure that people have that understanding, but are also trained up in knowing the kind of things they should be asking people, what they can, what they shouldn't, shouldn't be saying and what does work and what doesn't work. Um, just um, to let people well. know, because this is a, this is a, like technically an international podcast, just in case I don't know whether or not anyone might not understand what BMI is. So that's body mass index for people who don't know, because I don't know whether or not they use that scale anywhere else. Um, um, so just in case people don't know what, what you said by BMI, it's body mass index, just cool. to let people know. Um, but yes, yeah, sorry, go on, what were you saying? Um, and then the final thing, which is a more long-term thing, mm-hmm. but is about actually bringing in some kind of standard so we can measure why people are getting turned away from services. Yes. And again, then we can make sure that people are accessing that support and getting the right support that they need. Because mm-hmm. you feel in a sort of generalistic sense, and I think, because I think this crosses all mental health issues, um, is about um, is about the idea of uh, like preventing stuff from becoming like so. Where the idea is that when you first start, surely the idea should be if you first start getting symptoms, um, and and start to feeling like you can't, like you're you're starting to struggle. That's ideally the time that we should be supporting people, right? So it doesn't become a long term problem. Is that fair? Is that kind of like I think in general the kind of goal that we all want? Yeah, I think we do, and I think. The more we prevent mental health problems, the less time we'll be having to deal with the recovery and the aftermath of it. Mm-hmm. And also the more likely that person is to recover. And that's what we want to happen. Yeah. Um, so I just want to mention as well, because I know we did last time you were mentally sound as well. I'm, I mean, uh, ho- hopefully it'll reach its uh, its target with signatures. Because I know we talked about this a while ago, but it has it has gone up there. Um, so I'll just mention this for the benefit of yourself. Is that um, So if you go on change.org um, slash eating disorders... Um, or maybe just type, I just typed in now really quickly, dump the scales into Google and you'll find it. it's like the third one down or something on change.org and it's a petition that, um, well actually because you're on the program as well, um, do you want to explain what, what the idea for the petition is? Um, so the plan is, is to use the petition to help apply more pressure on the government mm-hmm. to actually make sure the government starts to listen. At the moment we have I think 72,000 signatures yeah. Um, 72,060 as of this recording. Oh, nice. <laughs> we need, um, we don't need 100,000, but obviously the more signatures we get, mm-hmm. the better it will be. Yep. Um, and so we're doing a massive push over the next couple of weeks again to try and get as many more as we can mm-hmm. and to make sure that we can get people to listen. Um, so if you obviously have listened today, please do sign it, share it with your family, people that you work with. Um, and like I always say, like, if you are interested in getting more involved with the campaign as well, like, do feel free to message me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And I can kind of talk to you a little bit more about the kind of things that you can do to support it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and as I said, uh, as I said right at the beginning of the podcast, I do a post introduction. So I'll mention this as well as your website. And stuff like Perfect. That. Um, but yeah, so I mean, um, uh, hopefully it'll reach because it says on here that to reach 75,000, I think that, that seems possible. Um, so let's do it. That's only three thousand more signatures. Well, three, uh, two thousand and nine hundred and forty. If, <laughs> if my maths is, if my, if my maths isn't what it was, hope. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've been to school. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so that that's that's certainly achievable. Particularly as you say, you're going to do a um a push for the next two weeks. I really hope it, it reaches that it reaches that point. Um, I, I think I, I guess because I always like to lend, end on a good positive note because I, I, the last question I'm going to ask you this is the second last question I'll ask you about your future stuff um, I guess what is the um, from a positive spin on it in all the sort of uh, campaigning you're doing writing your book and all that sort of thing and, and doing the, the, the dump your scales thing what what would what would be your hope for the future like in a, in a general sense I mean obviously we can talk about this Based that we're both from the UK and, and talk about it from that sense. So from from for our country, and I mean obviously because I was going to say we, we could do it, what about the planet? But I'm just saying based on the UK, what do you what what's your sort of hope? For, I mean obviously that applies being the name is hope. <laughs> is um what is your sort of uh, hope for the future? Um you know with the stuff that you do, what would you like to see? Hopefully one day. I know that's a very broad question, but I'm just curious to what your answer would be. Um. Oh, God, good question. <laughs> I My finally, I finally said a good question. Um, <laughs> no, um, I guess with regards to mental health is that everyone can feel able to talk about how they feel openly and without fear of judgment mm-hmm. and get that support that they need. Yes. Um, and to live in a kind of society where we're not so fixated on what everyone looks like and what everyone's achieved. Yes. But to actually look deeper and wider than that mm-hmm. and to... And to just be mindful of people around us. 
Yeah. I was quite shocked this week, actually. I had a really terrible last few weeks, if I'm honest. And, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up, you know, and I've ended up crying three times on the tube, which is oh. so unlike me because I'm okay. quite a private crier. Okay. Um, and every single time I cried, actually someone talk, tried to talk to me about it, which I was like thinking in my head when I was crying, like, oh my God, this is bizarre. People are actually listening to the Samaritans and listening to all this mental health campaigning that I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but actually like it was really nice because yeah. you then end up talking to this complete random person about how you feel mm-hmm. and you're probably never going to see them again, mm-hmm. which makes it that a little bit easier at times. And I think as a society, we need to start taking a bit of responsibility for each other. And if we see someone struggling, try and have that conversation, because I do believe that actually the more we talk about mental health, then the more lives we can save. Yeah. And I can, you're preaching to the converted there and saying the one question I get asked more than anything. Um, and obviously I'm not doing like a campaign or something like you where I get asked it. But the, the one thing I do get, I get asked in the shows that I, that I run and stuff like that is I always get asked like why, what is your sort of reasoning behind being so open and honest and frank about all the stuff that you went through? Um, and just the, your desire to kind of talk in an open and honest way, hence what we've just done for the last hour or so. And that it's because us having conversations like this, can encourage, I always think of the person who we once were of being in the, like being in our own bedrooms when we were teenagers and um, hiding our disorder and um, not knowing what we're going through and going through like horrible scenario, like a horrible situation and, and not like, you know, embracing life for how beautiful it can be. I mean, I know that sounds very, um, very, um, uh, sort of soppy, but, but I really do mean it is that, you know, you, you, you can reach a point like I, like I, it sounds like we're both in where, you know, you can realize how great life can be. Um, and how, and, and in being open and honest about it is actually really the only way you should go. Um, and, and hopefully if we can all have that at, it's cause it really comes down to how we apply that and our attitude towards it. And so if we can sort of encourage people to have a good positive approach to it. Um, then it's okay to struggle and uh, and it's nice to hear that when you were crying people ask you because I think about that all the time that I, I don't want us to I, I hope we don't become a society where we don't want to like help the help the random stranger because I think people were so fearful about being told off now I think that that's what that that's the feeling I get sometimes when I see someone in distress and go about oh, someone might think weird about me or whatever it is and you just think I don't want to I hope we don't end up like as paranoid as as that sounds you know moving forward that we actually yeah. want to help people you know so so hopefully stuff like this will so the final question I ask everyone is say there's, there's only two standard real questions uh, that I have is this what you want to talk about and the only question I ask people on every podcast is so what's your desire in the future in terms of your like I mean because obviously like in, re- in relation to the campaign you said something interesting is that so obviously it didn't you didn't get the desired answer you got from like sort of um the, the MPs and stuff that, and all that kind of thing what's your what's your desire moving forward with that like what's your plan uh, in the non too distant future um so i'm meeting on monday with the uh, mental health trust that turned me away from services to talk about actually what we can do together to try and challenge this mm-hmm. and i'm hoping that off the back of that then we'll come up with a bit of a plan of action that we can then roll out across other mental health trusts in the country. Great. Um, I'm also, so last week we sent a joint letter from 54 MPs, I think it was, to Great. Jackie Doyle Price, asking her to actually come back properly on the letter that we sent to Downing Street and to make some proper commitments with timeframes and whatnot so that we can actually see this thing happening and Great. get some proper senior leadership over it. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm waiting to get a response from her at the moment, and I'm hopeful that that will be, yeah, in kind of the next few weeks, we'll get something back off that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll just have to take it from there. But I think at the moment it is about trying to get as many signatures as we can and to get as many people talking about the campaign and raising its profile so that we can keep making sure that the government do take this seriously. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I, 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 I second that by saying, so anyone listening to this, who didn't listen to Mentally Sound when Hope was on or whatever and doesn't know about the petition and particularly if you live in the UK obviously because this benef- this affects ev- like everybody and and um I, when you what when you read the uh, I'm I'm I've got this open on my um on my browser right now reading the reading the the summary of it and everything and I was on this when I I was I had this open when I was interviewing you on Mentally Sound and um 
the the thing I like about this is that it, it, it like it's not obviously it's in relation to what you went through and obviously eating disorders and stuff, but it it also says within that it's about you know that this is a stepping stone for it to happen across all platforms. You know, it's not just about necessarily eating disorders. It's all about every disorder that we go through that sort of waiting waiting to be helped. And um, you know, waiting to get to the point where you're in a crisis and 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 your life's being turned upside down. Like, hopefully, we can reach the point where no one has to go through that again because we both did. You know, so um, hopefully that will reach a that that's what I hope is that I hope we reach a point where that 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 can be stopped. And it can't completely, I guess, cause a chance and everything. But 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 it doesn't mean we shouldn't try our best to stop it from happening again. Um, so I think that's a good way to end. Um, so yeah, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Thank you for having me. It's no problem. I hope did you, did you find it um uh, painless? I hope you did. Yeah, no, it was good. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you know, it was obviously we talk about something quite. It's not like mentally sound where it's kind of got like a, a, a sort of a, a pinpoint structure and a time frame and you know stopping for ads and all that sort of thing. So um, I hope you enjoyed it because I certainly did. It was nice to 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 talk to you in a lot more detail. So um, and as I said, I'm mentally sound and I meant this sincerely. Is that I really hope it goes. I hope it gets through, and um, you know, I I I have general ad- admiration for the 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 amount of it. Clearly, the amount of effort you put into this, and so I hope um, you know, can continue doing that, and um, I hope you're proud of yourself. Really, um, I think it's a really good. I hope I think it's a really good thing to do, and um, as I said really earlier on, which I which probably people are going to pick up, as I said that like you know, the hearing stuff like this inspires me to do something similar and even if it's just a case of, you know, because I do speak about my stuff in um, you know, speeches and stuff like that is that I, I hope to, you know, to follow in, you know, your footsteps in a certain sense of the, you know, talking about this in a more public forum and um, and, 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 and not being afraid of that and and, and, uh, and, and trying to make a difference because, you know, you're doing this in a parliamentary level hopefully one day, so um so I really admire you for that. So continued success. Um, so yeah, um, great. Um, so um, you. you're very welcome. <laughs> um, so great. I'll just say bye and then I'll, uh, I'll I'll say bye to you very briefly at the end. So um, I just need to wrap this up by saying um, huge thank you to Hope Virgo for being on. Um, as we've touched on throughout this podcast, she was on a couple of episodes of Mentally Sound. I wish I had done my research and figure out which ones they were. But it was, I think, about, was it was it a month ago or something, Hope, or was it? Yeah, late? about a month ago yeah. and another one kind of a bit before then. Yeah, that was like, a, I think, a year before that or something, maybe. or It was months, it was quite a while ago, the first one. And yeah, but the, the most recent one was about a month ago. But if you type in Mentally Sound on iTunes or whatever your podcast directory is, you will find, obviously, if you read the descriptions, Hope's name will, will be in the description. So, But obviously, feel free to listen to any episode, but in particular, the one Hope was on, where we talk about, obviously, what we're talking about now, if you're interested, but obviously, we talked about this in, in quite good detail. So, as you just touched on, I'll say this in the beginning, but also now, HopeVirgo.com, and as we touched on, Change.org uh, slash Eating Disorders are not just about waste. Well, basically, just type in Dump the Scales, um on your and on any of your search engines and it was the third one down for me um and it's changed.org so you'll find it on there and if you feel obligated which i hope you do please do sign the petition because as hope says it really does help so a huge thank you to hope virgo thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast and in the podcast like i always end in the words of the great beam for robot jocks crash and burn and we'll see you very soon for another edition of the geek podcast thanks guys take care bye